Nathan Michaels is going to be sharing this morning. It's a blessing to have him here. Part of our group, uh, Nathan's a counselor over at the hospital, uh, has spent a significant amount of time working with people with addictions. Um, I like that he's a light in a dark place and is not overcome by the darkness. That's significant. So, Thanks, John. Hey, it's good to see you. Uh, my name's Nate. If those of you don't know me, um, I grew up in Marquette. For some of you, I'm a friend. Some of you, I'm an acquaintance. Um, but I appreciate the time being here and being a part of this time together. So, uh, like, Dad, one moment. There we go. Like John said, um, I have been working with people who have been struggling with some sort of like mental health issues for a long time, and I hope to just give part of my experience, my own personal experience, but also my experience working with other people. Um, and I'll try not to spit on the Brinkman family here. Okay. Um, so let's see here. Goal for today is a chance for us to uh, integrate our Christianity and our psychology. That's kind of my orientation, that part of you is spiritual, and part of you also has this components um, that are cognitive or emotional, and we're going to try to integrate some of that. Uh, the hope is that we can create peace. I do believe in peace. I believe in the truth, and I believe that there's peace that lives inside you. And if you feel like you have not felt that peace, um, then I invite you into some new insight today, and hopefully you can take some time to consider it um, and see what that might look like for you. If you are a kid, or if your parent is sitting here, or if you're a kid at heart, we have a treasure hunt today for you, all right? So there are some whales in the slideshow today. I'm going to see if you can count how many whales you can see. All right, Caleb? Cool. So, and for those who like to have something to do, you can do that as well. So, um, so let's set the stage. Uh, this is going to be new. I'm not John. I'm not you. You know yourself best, right? I'm just coming from my experience. But it will be new. It will be something different. So um, hopefully we can create a safe place here. Some of you come here on a weekly basis because you feel that safety. You feel that um, cohesion of a family that maybe you never had. Or maybe you feel at ease, being able to know that God is your guide. That's a big deal. That's a big thing that this room, these people, not even this space, but these people hold on to. And so the hope is that we can maintain that uh, unity, maintain that cohesion together. Um, sometimes we can be resistant to that. Sometimes we can disagree, and I welcome that. I welcome that you have your own opinions and your own identification of that. So let's bring that together. So as we, as we have set the stage, let's center ourselves, okay? We're centering on God here. And often when we do come to a spiritual place, we are bringing some distractions. You might be thinking about your work week. You might be thinking about the sleep you didn't get last night. You might be thinking about your kids. Or you might be thinking about, I don't know, 
So I invite you to consider those distractions and place them somewhere else, maybe on a bookshelf, just for the next half an hour. Be able to center yourself with God um, and our community together, and we can kind of journey through that. Um, one way we do that is just grounding ourselves. Um, we humans are from the earth, or Christians believe we're from the earth, so we center ourselves on the earth. The earth is grounding, and we need that, that grounded place in our life to feel that we have something to stand on. We also sit in between the space between earth and heaven. Heaven, for some of us, is our home. Hopefully all of us, right? And so we get to have a place in between those two places, earth and heaven, and we're right in the middle of that. So when you have let go of those distractions, when you feel like you are here, why don't you look to the person next to you and say, I am here. I'm here. Listen to that. That's the, that's the chorus of our community, knowing that we are here together, collectively. That's a big deal. I appreciate being there with you. Uh, this is Ephesians uh, 4, 16 through 18. <clears throat> this is a jumping off point for today. So we're not giving up. How could we? Even though on the outside it often looks like things are falling apart, on the inside, where God is making new life, not a day goes by without his unfolding grace. These, hard, these are hard times. Oh, sorry. These hard times are small potatoes compared to the coming good times, the lavish celebration prepared for us. There's far more here than meets the eye. Things we see now are here today, gone tomorrow, but things we can't see now will last forever. For some of us, or for some of the people that we know in our life, the world is falling apart. Maybe parts of our formation of how we see the world are just not uh, being a foundation of what we've once had. Sometimes it's hard to see that. Sometimes it's hard to see that we are falling apart and we resist that. We resist that temptation to say, I, I don't know what to do or I feel stuck or I feel like I've plateaued in some way or form. So it's my opinion, I guess, that Paul's getting to that in this, in this uh, verse, that maybe the Ephesians were feeling that, like things were wild, things were crazy. Maybe there was war going on. Maybe there was, I don't know what was happening. But he's getting to this issue, and we're going to get to that. Um, as we all know, mental health is real, and it's a dilemma for some of us. It's something that we struggle with, so something that we keep hidden. Whoa, look at that font. You can't read that. Sorry about that. Um, don't, yeah, maybe, yeah. So, so the, point, the point is that we live in a, a stressful world, and we hold on to that stress. From my experience, stress is increasing. Mental health is increasing over the last 15 years I've been working here. Youth anxiety is on the rise, right? We have to know and acknowledge that that's part of like what we are, and Christians aren't immune to that. I'd like to say that you know, some people have this idea that maybe Christians are immune to mental health issues, but we're not. We're humans, and we deal with the same struggles as all different people. We can have a different approach. 
One thing that I sit with often when I'm working with individuals who call Jesus Lord, but also are dealing with their, our, their psychology, is this idea of spiritual bypass. Spiritual bypass is this idea that unconsciously we are avoiding some of our anxieties or pains, and sometimes we used our religion to bypass these hardships and pain. This blocks ourselves from the truth. This can block ourselves from uh, finding our fullness. We can become rigid. We can kind of repress this stress that we're holding on to, not trying to uh, fight against maybe some of our spiritual practices or religious family, right? So spiritual bypass was introduced to me by... um, um, a friend and a guide, Dr. Gwen White in Philadelphia, and she talks about this with her clients as well. It's a chance for her to uncover when people are devout Christians that sometimes their Christianity becomes a hindrance to finding their fullness. So um, this is what I'm going to be talking about today, um, and we're going to be getting more into that. Um, before we get there. So um, why am I bringing this up? I've, from, you know, I can speak from my own experience. I've used spiritual disciplines or practices to also uh, limit my potential of what it means to love my neighbor, to love God. I have been uh, repressed some anxiety of my own, or I haven't been able to be really honest with the pain that I felt growing up, Right? And then when I get to sit with other people and work with their own pain, sometimes it's the same story played out. I keep on doing this thing at church, and there's no results, right? So for example, let's call this person Luca. Luca is um, like a male. He, um, he is a dad. He works. Um, let's say his dad worked a ton. His mom had a good amount of anger. Um, He was told to like work hard and he'd be able to get what he wants in life. But he's having some problems. He's having some problems with his marriage. He has destructive anger. He's yelling a lot. He comes to, let's say, counseling and saying, hey, I don't know what's going on, right? I, I pray and pray and pray and pray and pray and nothing's happening, okay? So we're going to use Luca as a template as we work through this. It might be easier for you to relate with as we go through. So um, spiritual bypass also can get into our culture or our power, right? I think of some of the Pharisees use their intellectualism to not really by, to bypass their ability to really look to other people following Jesus to say, I, I love you. They, they made themselves a little bit higher than those other people. So um, some of the negative results from bypass, okay? These are some of the things that happen when we evade some of the darker material underneath us or some of the wounds that we've inflicted. I, I acknowledge that all of us, I guess my, my bias or my observation is that everyone is wounded 
and ultimately we are all wounded by sin. Sin is the ultimate wound, and we live with that. We are all sinners. And for those who are exploring their idea of a life with Christ here, I would say that um, you yourself might need to explore what does that look like? Are you bypassing Jesus? Because today, I invite you to consider what does Jesus look like for you? Is he your savior or not? And that would be something that we can start a dialogue with if you are on that fence or if you're not there. Some of the negative results of bypass can turn into uh, not taking responsibility or abdicating personal responsibility for people in your community or people in your family or even personal responsibilities. Sometimes there can be a spiritual obsession of constantly doing more and more and more and more without really great results. Uh, They are obsessed about going to every meeting or having every waking moment as like something that they need to grasp, but it doesn't really touch that anxiety, doesn't really touch that pain. Sometimes it can turn into like repression of undesirable emotions and feeling blank, feeling like you've plateaued, feeling like, well, what's the point? Sometimes it can be like the opposite, spiritual narcissism. Oh, I'm better than all of you. Like, I'm better than all those people, you know? And we can, we can be tempted with that. It could be spiritual materialism of trying to just access more and more and more peak experiences spiritually in the hope that we would be able to get something without the, the discipline of spiritual work, the long-term dear discipline of spiritual work. Um, it can also lead to like uh, blind faith in spiritual leaders or even just isolation, detachment, right? I don't need to go to church. I don't need to go there. I don't, I don't need to really talk about that. I don't really want to help. I don't want to like be a part of the community, right? Just kind of like isolating. We dealt with that this year, this isolation, right? A little bit differently, but that isolation can be part of that. And you also could feel isolated in kind of who you are. Um, here's some examples of bypass um, from the Bible. In Luke 7, 36 through 50, this is the, this is the part of the Bible where uh, Jesus is having dinner with, with Simon, and a woman comes through the door, right? She like blasts through the door, right? She comes in, she has this like expensive perfume, she comes to Jesus' feet and dumps it on his, on his feet. She starts kissing him. She starts like rubbing her hair all over his feet. Whoa! It's like someone come through this door and just hugging me, right? And like giving me like, I don't know, a new bike. Sweet, right? Simon is like appalled. What the heck is this woman doing here? Why is she here? Like who gives her the right to be here, right? He's distracted by this moment of hospitality. He's distracted by his moral uprightness. I'm better than this other woman, right? But the truth is, this woman has like this unrelenting love. She doesn't even care about anyone else in the room. All she cares about is being at Jesus' feet. Oh, that gives me chills, right? The chills to know that someone has that deep of love, right, for Jesus, It also makes me pray for Simon, 
man, he was really rigid thinking. He was bypassing a capacity to maybe find some deeper love for Jesus. And who knows what his life was like, but he was a human, right? He was just like me and you. Probably, you know, like he was, he was a human a long time ago, right? He was just like one of us. We look at Jonah 4, 1 through 4. We'll get to Jonah in a second. Um, but Jonah is like angry at God. How, how come you didn't like burn down the Ninevites? Dude, I like was in a whale. I need some results, right? So he also ran away. He, didn't, he was like scared. Jonah could be, who knows what Jonah could be like, right? Let's consider Joan was like an introvert, didn't really like hanging out with people, hung out, just liked his little farm. And Jesus is telling him, you need to go to this like New York City and just start walking around and telling people about Jesus. Whoa, like, I don't know if I could do that, right? That's not, like, that's hard. You guys keeping in touch with all the whales? All right, all right, all right. So, talking about the kids, um, who knows about Jonah? So, what, what happened in Jonah? What's up, Micah? Okay, everyone hear that? There was like, uh, there's this guy, Jonah, and he got swallowed by a whale, right? According to Micah. All right? Who else knows something about Jonah in here? Back here, what's right there? Yeah. Can you say that again, Cody? What did she say? Yeah, totally. So he got on a boat. Good job. He got on a boat. He was being told to go to Nineveh. And he went on a boat instead, right? And then he got thrown off the boat. He finally kind of identified that, right? What did, what did we learn about Jonah's story? What's up, um, David? Okay. He caused some chaos, right? There was a big storm for some other people, right? He was bypassing, or he was like getting around this true calling for himself and evading that, not really getting close to that. And he did cause some harm for other people. He also caused some harm for himself. He was inside a whale. When I was researching this, I found that there was this lobster farmer or lobster fisherman that actually got swallowed by a whale. True story, right? But he survived. He was in the hospital for a little bit, but you can do it. He survived, right? I that's not an invitation for anyone to go find a whale. In, in, the, in the story of Jonah, Jonah has this prayer. My head was surrounded with seaweed. I was, I was in this pit. The door was shut. It was all dark. I didn't know what to do. But God saved me. In this isolation, in this time where I sat with myself, I, God healed me. God helped me, Right? Our heads could be full with seaweed, weird thoughts, weird experiences. We could feel shut in. And God 
is there too. He's in those spaces where we feel seaweed between the ears, right? Um, how does this happen? So bringing in some of the psychological implications. Um, often, the faith tradition of Christianity has not been encouraged by the psychological field of science. It's considered delusional, or it's considered like um, obsessive thinking, or it's considered, it's devalued, right? So there is a fine line between psychology and, and Christianity where often one doesn't want to interact with the other. And there can be like a divide there. And that can be challenging, right? It's challenging even for me. And I've been working with it for a long time, right? Being able to bridge both these worlds. These are some of the, like, the psychological theory that get into some of the bypass. Often some of our drive um, to, um, to live comes from unconscious places, things that we can't have grasped to. They're underneath the surface. And sometimes to confront those things can feel unfaithful. It can feel like we're doing a disservice to God or our community to confront these deeper wounds. We have attachments. Each of us have an attachment to the people around us. And sometimes those people around us hurt our feelings. And we live with those hurt feelings. And sometimes those hurt feelings affect us. We also create a, a view of ourselves, of how we see ourselves, right? This idea that um, I am who I am because God made me to who I am. So if I question myself, I'm questioning God, right? There's also this idea that we have these basic assumptions about the world. These are our cognitive thoughts. And we have some assumptions that can be skewed, that can be not, that cannot be true. And we can believe some things that are false. And sometimes we get some language that get there. Um, so back to Luca. Remember Luca? Let's say uh, Luca was having some problems in his relationships. He came to counseling. He, um, he was trying to work through this idea of his anger and maybe even feeling depressed. Luca was... Um, pushed by his, um, his mother to keep things very structured, very ordered. And if he didn't, he wasn't doing good with God, right? Luca might have been feeling like neglected by his dad. His dad was always working. And he started to see himself um, as not being able to... I have to reference my notes just a second. So Luca became uh, like worked focused. I just have to have works. If I just do works, then I'm loved. Then God loves me, right? He had this unrelenting standard for himself and he, he lacked the intimacy that he desired, right? Even though he was working hard, even though he was like trying to get what he wanted from others, he still couldn't be intimate with other people. It came out as depression for him. It might have come out as something that, like anxious interactions with other people, right? The depression or the anxiety or this anger that Luca was feeling was because he wasn't really getting to the shame that he was feeling, that he was feeling angry. He was denying himself the chance to actually feel these deeper emotions. I don't feel like I belong. I don't feel loved. I don't feel like I have a space to voice this 
I feel isolated. So he plateaus. He just keeps the status quo. He doesn't really acknowledge these deeper wounds, right? That's some of the bypass. What worked well? So for, the, for a lot of us, our spiritual practices are so good, right? They ground us. They ground us in a God that's loving, that's peaceful, that's truthful. And it is good. But when we have deeper wounds, sometimes our spiritual practices can get in the way of those deeper wounds to be renewed. And I invite you to consider that. So, where do we go from here? Anyone see the movie Luca? Yeah, this is a little Disney film. I'm not like, I'm not paid by Disney, but here we are. Um, so Luca is about this boy who's also a monster, right? He, I'm not, there's no spoiler alerts here, so I'm not going to spoil the movie for you. They want to go to this city, this city where all their dreams come from. That might be stuck, they might be stuck on a little rock in the middle of the ocean, right? Some of you might feel like a monster inside and you repress that. Some of you feel caught between this place of being a human, but also trying to be a heaven-sent refugee, right? I belong in heaven, but I'm here on earth. How do I be both? Hi, buddy. Um, so we're going we're gonna to be talking a little bit of what we can do from here, right? Um, John brought this up last week, right? Or the week before. This is Psalm 32, 3 through 7. When I keep it all inside, my bones turn to powder. My words become day-long groans. The pressure never let up. All the juices of my life dried up. Then I let it out. I said, I'll come clean. About all my failures and pains to God, suddenly the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved. The sin disappeared and these things add up. Every one of us needs to pray. When all hell breaks loose and the dam bursts open on high ground, we'll be on high ground, untouched. God's my island hideaway. Keeps danger far from the shore and throws garlands of hosannas around my neck. There's some wisdom there. There's some wisdom there that the Psalms have to share, right? We can feel dried up. We can feel some pressure. We can feel our juices all dried up. It's Naming some of our bypass. Naming some of the places that we feel wounded. Naming some of that um, is part of the process. Naming it to God, naming it to our community, right? In John 14, it talks about the language used for Jesus. The Greek word is, um, and I don't know Greek, but parkelotos. Does anyone know Greek in here? No? That, I mean, that's how I'm going to say it. But it's the counselor. He's the intercessor. He's the come along, someone who come alongside, right? Someone who sits down next to Randy and just says, yeah, I just want to be with you, right? That's all I want to do. Let me just hear where you're coming from, right? That you're not alone. And a chance for us to actually have someone in our life like that. That's a big deal. Being able to see God as our friend, Jesus as our, as our brother, as someone who is willing to guide us, right? Rather than other things, we can be 
sometimes we hold on to other definitions of God. So kind of reestablishing what that looks like. Richard Rohr, which is this Franciscan monk, he comments about contemplative prayer, prayer that's some deep meditation. It's a daily practice of listening without words or uh, without our distractions of ourselves, being able to have a place where we can really focus on, on God, right? In Matthew 6, it talks about, um, here's what you do when you pray. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God. And you'll begin to sense God's grace. There's power in that. More and more literature that I read about talk about contemplative prayer as a way to uncover some of these spiritual hardships or cognitive hardships underneath. Being able to let go of this idea that I need to ask for something and just being present, just being still with God. It's hard to do. It's hard to like initiate that, some time to pray and some time to find some stillness. Sorry, I'm moving around the slides. When we get to sit in prayer, we get to sit with ourselves. We started today as like um, letting go of some of our distractions. That can be an easy way to, for you to start. Let me let go of some of these distractions and be able to just be in the presence of God. It's hard, right? Um, some of the things that I've used or some of the things that um, it's an invitation for other people is to acknowledge the conflict within you, to know that we do live with conflict within ourselves. Just acknowledging that is a big first step. Jesus says, um, I wrote it down, I don't want to... Jesus says, whenever you want to save your life, you'll lose it. Whoever loses his life will save it. We fear that. We fear to lose our life. We fear to lose some of the things that we've used, some of the, like, the thoughts or the beliefs or the orientations, because we don't want to lose our life. I can feel that. I kind of like who I am. I don't want to lose who I am in some way. And that can be a, like a temptation for us not to lose that. But there's hope. Like in Romans 12, 2, we can renew our mind. In Philippians 4, 8, we can fix our, thing, we can fix our thoughts um, on things that are true. These are, good, these are good lessons that the Bible has to offer. The Bible gives some good truth. Being able to read the Bible, to be able to read its virtue, some other ways is to initiate a Sabbath, right? What does a Sabbath look like? Well, you could not work for a day. You could give some money. You could not spend money. You could let go of screen time. You might need actually an, uh, a good distance from your family or children just for a little bit, right? Maybe you initiate no driving day. I don't know what a Sabbath looks like for you. Be steps outside the box. 
being able to know that having a place where you can establish some of that rest and find a place to listen. Some of it could be also changing your mindset, decatastrophizing a thought mindset, for example, of between scarcity and abundance. Is this world scarce or is it abundant? The disciples thought it was scarce. How are we going to feed 5,000 people? Yeah, right. We just send everyone home. Just everyone go away, right? Jesus was like, no, no, no. Let's find some food and let's feed everyone. Jesus is like, is the Lord of abundance, right? And his love is abundant. It's a big deal. We might need to reestablish how we see ourselves between God, our faith community, and our family. Um, or we give a gift. That's a struggle. That's a conflict. Time, money, service. I think of the woman giving two pennies, all that she had that day. Wow, she gave out of her nothingness. And being able to do that, right? And knowing how to, and practicing that. It takes time and discipline to give out of that. Another way is to examine yourself, right? You can do this with a counselor, and it's okay to see a counselor. You can do this with the daily office. This is like a, a consistent time throughout the day where you connect, right? Um, there's different assessments that you can use to assess kind of who you are. One is the Enneagram. You can connect with family or community, or you can read a good book, right? Books provide like good insight for us. There's some uh, book recommendations that I would say that might be helpful. Um, Everything Belongs by Richard Rohr, um, A CD and Me by Kathleen Norris, Dance with Anger by Harriet Lerner. Just, I like good old-fashioned fiction. Fiction is good. Um, Way to Love by Anthony DeMalo and Let Your Life Speak by Parker Palmer. Each one kind of comment on some aspects of what I brought up today. So that, that's something on there. So before we transition, um, and in closing, this uh, Christian psychologist, Mark McMinn, talks about at the crux of life, there's a question of transformation. The question and the choice for you to transform, to you become someone new, right? There's going to be cruxes in your life, and we have to identify, can we transform through that crux? If something was stirred in you today, or if something questioned that came up, spend some time this week to consider it, right? Talk about it with someone in a small group, or talk to a friend. Kind of consider what that looks like. Today, uh, in the, like, the Catholic Canada calendar, is St. Benedict of Nursa Day. He developed a whole bunch of monasteries during the Dark Ages. Talking about a time that was rough, Right? And he initiated some balance, some reason, or even moderation. We can join a hymn in our transgenerational church, knowing that there's many, many Christians that have gone before us, and there'll be many, many Christians that go beyond us. And we can be in that place in between. We can learn from these people that have gone before us in some ways to help guide us in some way or form. We're going to close with that. But before we do that, is there any talk back? Does anyone have any questions? Anything that was like, Nate, you, I don't know. Anything that you want to say? Anything that you want to bring to the, bring to the table? I believe that we are all a body of Christ. And we all have the potential to give wisdom and to give healing.
we all have that opportunity. So is there any talk back that anyone has? Alicia, Alicia talks about like we're all part of the community and normalizing this idea that mental health is real and we're pursuing mental health and it's not something to be scared of and we're going toward that. So I like that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, we're going to close up there, but kids, how many whales were there? Ten. There was ten. All right. We're going we're gonna to transition to small groups. Thanks so much, everyone, for giving me the opportunity to share. And um, thanks for listening. So, Thank you, Nate, for presenting today. Really appreciated that. I want to share just a nugget before I close. Um, I've always been intimidated by learning languages. And recently I've been finding an interest in some of the Hebrew words and I came across this word for praise this week and it's linked originally to sound and then more to color and I just go what is that and then you start thinking it's a form of flamboyance both in volume and brightness so to speak and the question is when was the last time you were flamboyant in your declaration regarding God? I'm an introvert, and most of my stuff's internal. So it was a challenge to look at that and say, um, there's still plenty of room for praise. Outward, flamboyant, colorful, loud, you know, intriguing thought. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what it is to be at peace, true peace with you. As we go into the community, we ask that you give us words of life to speak over others. Enable us to carry out the workings of your kingdom. Gift us with the supernatural, we ask. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day.